Okay, welcome back to our new episode, episode eight. Um, today we have a guest. It is not just me and Summer, and it is Jane. It's my grandma. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. I'm Jane. I am a director and editor and writer based in L.A., but like Summer and Crystal, I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and... Yeah, today we're gonna. I guess we're gonna share a bit about my upbringing in Hong Kong and how it compares to you guys, which is pretty cool. Because I'm sure we have different experiences, but also a lot of similarities. Yes, Miss Filmmaker. Okay, that was so professional. Gave me goosebumps. I was like, yeah, director, filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so you graduated a year before me. So you are. You've been working for two years now. Yeah, it's crazy to think that I graduated two years ago. I don't know. Um, it's so much has happened in the past two years. I got my visa. I'm currently on an O1 work visa as a director and editor, which is crazy. Um, and I'm, you know, financially independent, living in Koreatown, and and haven't gone home in so long. <laughs> so it's nice to talk to people who understand what it's like to be away and to have two different homes across the world. She's a strong, independent woman, <laughs> <laughs> like you guys. Oh, also, oh my gosh, I just watched um the K drama startup. <gasps> yes, my parents, and I finished it last night. Are <laughs> oh my gosh, I cried so much. But when you said strong, independent woman, I'm like yes. Um, but yeah, we all met in college, so we all went to school together. Um, and we're all like a year younger than each other. And yeah, we all met in the Chinese Culture Club. I remember when I met Jane. Yeah, I remember when I met Jane. I didn't know you were from Hong Kong because I was just like a little freshman and you on eboard. And then at retreat, I think you and Ashley were talking about being from Hong Kong. And I was like, I need to talk to them. <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, wow. I forgot about that memory. Crazy. Yeah, I don't I feel like. There's like so few Hong Kongers at LMU, so when you find out, then you're uh, like, oh my gosh, you. I gotta talk to them. And there, in the end, there's only just like a handful of us. <laughs> I know there was like, ten, I feel is there more now, Summer? I'm not sure, but I know when like I came in, it was only like there were like less than ten people from Hong Kong. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know people are from Hong Kong, but not that many. How's everyone doing from a scale of one to ten? <laughs> a quick check in. I'll say maybe an eight solid um nothing to complain about <laughs> um me i think i'll get a five because i'm really stressed and then i haven't been like feeling too well i've just been feeling like really out of it and then i have a lot of work to do so i'm a little stressed but we're gonna get through it you're almost done yeah mm -hmm. graduation um i would say i'm at uh mm, i would say seven i'm just chilling let's go into our this or that Summer came out with this one. Yeah, I'm excited for this <laughs> one. Okay, so this week, this or that is pineapple bun or cocktail bun. Hmm, that's a hard one. Those two were like my two favorites at the bakery. Those are like the two that my mom would always get for me. Like when I come home, I'll have yes. gai mai bao or bao bao. So it's really hard. I didn't know they were called cocktail buns. <laughs> I had no idea the English name was cocktail buns. 
I thought it was just called chicken tail bun. Chicken tail bun. It has no chicken in it. Like how pineapple bun doesn't have pineapple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I didn't grow up. I didn't eat um, cocktail bun that much growing up. So I'd say pineapple bun. Um, I'll, okay, I'll give plus one vote to cocktail bun because I think it's a very underrated Hong Kong bakery item. <laughs> and I liked it a lot. I haven't had it in so long. We will find some. There's some really good bakery here in SF that sells really good nice. cocktail bun and nice. pineapple bun. I love SF Chinatown. It really reminds me of Hong Kong in some ways. Mm-hmm. Summer, you're the deciding vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cocktail bun. I like cocktail bun more. I just like the filling. Mm-hmm. It is more like homey. I feel like pineapple bun is very like well-known as a Hong Kong thing. A hidden gem. Hidden gem. Y'all should go try it. Cocktail bun. Guy Maybell. Chicken tail bun. <laughs> so let's get into our topic for the day. It is... Well, the reason why we have Jane here is because, like, Summer and I talked about the Hong Kong education system a bunch in the past, but we, like, never knew how to, like, kind of talk about international schools just because Summer and I didn't go to international school. And Jane did. But Jane has... You've been to both, like, international school and local school, right? Yeah, I went to local school up until grade four. And then from grade five onwards, I was at an international school. So I felt like Jane was, like, a really good person to talk about this. Um, And, yeah, I mean, like, international school versus local school differences, I would say just, like... One you have to pay and one you don't. <laughs> I feel like that is like the biggest difference. Yeah, I would say that's the thing that put me off for the longest time, uh, for of transferring to international school. Cause um, I have two brothers. I'm a middle child, and they both have gone to international school ever since prep, which I it's like the year before grade one, um, and so yeah, I, I was the only one who has been in uh, local school, you know, from when I was young until grade four and. Um, it was because all of them, um, all of my mom's family, all of the girls there went to the school. It was an all girls, like Christian local school. Um, and I remember like asking my mom about the difference in tuition. Um, and I was like, so surprised. I was like, I can't believe that, that my brother's tuition costs so much more than mine. Um, and so that's the long, so for the longest time I was like, oh, I feel really bad about going to international school because it's so expensive. Um. So I just stayed in local school. But um, I think around grade four, uh, there's people always say like um, grade f- in grade five, local school, it starts to get really hard because um, then you're transitioning, you're starting to transition to secondary school. Um, so I guess I was a little scared off. I, I guess I, that was like my signal to be like, maybe I should think about like what kind of education I want for myself for the rest of, you know, secondary school and all of that. Because I know I, I was quite envious of my brothers because I knew how relaxed and and friendly the environment of international school was because I'd always visit them I'd sometimes go pick up my little brother and like I'll just see how friendly he is with his teachers and I was like I don't really see that kind of dynamic um in in my school Uh, and um and another thing that kept me off from transferring even though my family was always like if you want to transfer you can transfer and then um my family was also really close with like uh, my dad was really close with the headmaster of the international school I went to, and he would always be like, if you want to c- come, you, you, you know, we'll, we want you to apply. But I also, like, I guess I had some, like, 
pride and being like, no, I'm the only child who is in local school and I will continue to speak Chinese better than you, <laughs> like to my <laughs> brothers. Because um, my brothers, Cantonese, like my, my, fa- my parents didn't really, put, I would say like, we do speak Cantonese at home, but it's not like uh, a very concerted effort. So like me and my brothers, we just speak in English. And um, my parents speak to my brothers in Cantonese and they reply in English. So, so like there's not a huge robust Cantonese environment at home so I, de- I guess I took pride in like being uh, you know a fluent Cantonese speaker from local school but yeah in grade four I had so I had the chance to apply for this scholarship to get into my international school and uh, and I got the scholarship um, I was always a really goody two-shoes in school <laughs> I was got good grades and stuff so that's why um, my parents were very open to me like transferring school if I, if I, if I wanted to. Uh, I don't know, I guess I earned it or something. Um, but so, so yeah, I got the scholarship and then, um, and yeah, and then my life, I guess, became a, quite a bit different because the, the, um, the rules and the environment and the, of, of international is just so different. I remember, you know, local school, there's all these arbitrary requirements like, if your hair is longer than past your shoulders, um, then you have to tie it up. Well, I went to a Christian school, so it was especially strict. And they're like, no makeup, no nail polish. And then if you tie your hair up, it can't be a different color. It has to be blue because our uniform's blue. Mm-hmm. You know, all, this, all this stuff. And it was really restrictive. And I think there was a huge, I guess I'm glad that I had the opportunity to go to a school where they're um, a bit more open-minded um, about things because I think going to an all-girls Christian school is very patriarchal um it's quite a bit of internalized sexism <laughs> um and and so yeah I, i'm i'm glad that i got to experience both though um i think there are definitely like pros and cons of both education systems mm-hmm. yeah i like had a lot of friends who went to international school because i went to like international preschool and then i went to the local school for first grade and then I remember, like, I would always, like, envy, like, you did your brother's, like, international school kids because it seems so chill and so fun. And, like, my friend got a free MacBook. And I was like, I don't get a free MacBook. What? Yeah. Well, I guess because they're paying what? for, like, really expensive tuition. Um, and I actually, like, wanted to transfer to the uh, preschool, international preschool that I was at, like, in... I think secondary school, I wanted to go back to international school, but the wait list was so long and I was like, it's not worth it. I feel like it's so interesting hearing y'all talking about like international school because like growing up, I don't know anyone um, who is in international school. So it's like really interesting to like hear what your experience has been like. It's such different world. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the MacBook thing that you brought up, Crystal, I looking back, I'm so grateful that we got to have MacBooks starting in grade five. So starting, or maybe it was grade six. No, I think it was grade five. Starting in grade five, like the year I started, that we were given like free MacBooks. But of course, you know, like you said, it's part of the tuition that we pay. Um, But I think like, especially as a creative person, it was so important that not only do we have a free MacBook, but they gave us like the whole entire Adobe suite for free. And like we have all these apps on it. And like, that's how I started messing around on Photoshop and and Premiere and stuff like that is because like I, it it was just on my laptop from school. Uh, And I think that, you know, I wish there was more support for that in all kinds of schools in Hong Kong, you know, that people, you know, that kind of technology education and access to technology and because it's so important, especially in today's world. Oh my god, I, I had my first laptop in high school junior year when I moved here. 
Yeah, I think yeah. When I was younger, I just used the desktop at home, like the one that my mom used. Yeah. Um, and just go on MSN after school. Yeah, we like Summer and I wanted to do a little game with you because we thought it'd be fun to debunk some international school myths that maybe like we think or that we've heard. All right, let's do it. Do you want to start somewhere or should I go? Yeah. Okay. So the first statement. So you just need to tell us like what you think about it, like if, if, if it's, it's true. true or not. Okay. Cool. So the first one is everyone is middle upper class, super expensive tuition. Hmm. I would say, um, I don't actually. I think I think this is true for the most part. Like disclaimer, I don't know everybody's like economic background. But I think definitely the majority of people are middle upper class because um, that's how, you know, we're able to afford the tuition. Um, or but there are also scholarships, you know, like the one I got into through. Even though my family is middle upper class, I'm not gonna lie about that. But I did get a scholarship through uh, to get into there, and that, um, and, you know, but it doesn't. It's not like a. I'm not. I'm pretty sure it's not like a full ride scholarship. So I do think now majority of us are middle upper class do you think that people come from a more like westernized background usually like the students who go there i think there's a mix um so obviously there are you know kids of expats you know uh, but they're also you know hong kong born and raised cantonese chinese people like myself uh, and there's there's definitely a mix there's because because there's like new students all the time so there's people who have been there since they were five and then there's people who transfer literally like junior year of high school so there's a quite a good good mix and even people who have been there for a long time um people like our good friend ashley like her family is you know they all speak cantonese her parents don't really speak english so like they you know i i would say they're probably not as westernized as a, as a lot of families are um and but I, I, but yeah a lot of families you know they might have like been educated in the west and then come back to hong kong um but i think it's a it's a mix but for the most part um it's there's the the you know the percentage of like families who only speak cantonese at home is probably quite small okay second one um, teachers aren't strict at all. Phones are allowed, like electronics are allowed in class. Because um, I, I know my friend who went to international, international school had to wear school uniform, but it seemed like it, they like the teachers didn't care about if you were like wearing it like not tucked in or if it, you looked a little bit like not well kept. Um, is this true? Hmm. Well, speaking from, from my own experience, um, my school was like some teachers were strict about uniform and some weren't. Um, and in terms of like phones and stuff it also depends on the teacher like some teachers are, are really chill a little bit like in tumblr in class <laughs> and um <laughs> uh, so like some people like some teachers will like really like check to make sure you're not uh distracted in class i think i was like one time i was like watching the hunger games red carpet premiere in class oh my god <laughs> that was a, a big, big fan girl back then um but then um yeah i'm gonna get in trouble now <laughs> but basically um in terms of uniform, so we, we had uniform as well. And uh, we had like P uniform and then a non-P uniform. And then uh, people who were on sports teams also had their own uniform that they could wear to school. Um, and and uh, so our uniform is, for, for girls, that is like a shirt and a skirt. And then for guys, you know, 
shirt and, and long pants. And my brothers, um, so like the, the pants are not that comfortable. And my dad um, owns a children's wear company. So, um, so they got, so my dad gave them an equivalent pair from his company that's like the same exact color. Um, well, I guess if you look at it side by side, there's a slight difference. It's like maybe a shade greener or something like that. It's like a brown, brown khaki pants. But um, the, there, there was the school, I don't know if it was like a specific teacher or someone, would always notice that my brother was not wearing the exact same uniform that the school required. <laughs> like even that, that, it, that it was like my dad's, um, you know, my dad's company's clothes. Um, it was like really random because it was literally plain khakis with nothing on them. It's just the color is like slightly different. So they were quite strict about that. Um, I think eventually, I think as you get older, they get less strict. Um, so probably in the end, it wasn't as big of a deal. Um, but uh, there were some, I guess, I think when I first joined in like grade five, I remember there being some controversy around girls, girls skirts being too short because um, we would always alter the skirts because they're really long. And, and like if you wear them without altering them, especially if you're short like me, they can look really ugly. Um, so some, some girls like to like alter them and make them a little shorter. But yeah, there was, I guess there's some, uh, some, some thoughts about that among the administration. Um, uh, it's a little, a little petty looking back on that. Just all this concern about girls' appearances in in in, uh, in the school. But yeah, a apart from that, there it wasn't too strict, uh, and we did get to use our devices in class because you know we could say we were we were on our computer taking notes, but. <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah my school like even local school we all like hiked up our skirts because we're like this is i look <laughs> why does it look so long um but like with phones and stuff i'm not sure if you well i mean you transfer that what like fifth grade i don't i didn't have like i don't think we had phones back then so that wasn't an issue yeah but, like as we as i got older in secondary school like whenever you had phones out and stuff like prefects would just like write down your name and you'd get like a slip to go to like detention and uh. stuff or like if your socks are too like we had um socks sh made by our school and had they were over like your ankle <laughs> um and yeah so if the if our socks were like too short they would be like nope and then one time like my teacher cut off all because i wore um the anklets that everyone like the friendship anklets i guess a lot of people wore back in the day and you can't take them off like you can't like undo it you like tie it and it's there forever and i got it got cut off by my like homeroom teacher because she saw it um, <gasps> and i cried because i was so sad i was like rude. this is important to oh, me so brutal so rude but i guess um <laughs> i shouldn't have worn it out i don't know but yeah it's it's just like so excessively strict but i think in hindsight like I guess I'm glad it was so excessively strict. But at the time, I was so envious of my friends in international school. I remember, like, even, like, with bangs, too, like, there are a lot of things with girls' hair. Like, Jane talked about, like, their hair tie has to be, like, blue or black. And, like, bobby pins also have to be black. And then your bang cannot be, like, longer than, like, your eyebrows. So, like, I would cut my bangs super short, and then it looks so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, my friend, like, because we can't, they don't allow you to dye your hair. So if it's, like, brown, they make you dye it back to black. And so my friends and I used to buy these spray, like, black hair sprays. And, like, before, like, a check or something, they would just go into the bathroom and spray their hair black. It was so funny. Oh, my God. 
and yeah one of my friends one of my friends has like naturally lighter hair like she has naturally brown hair and so every time she would get like caught by the teachers but she's like this is my real hair color damn all right okay okay next one international school kids only stay in hong kong island (laughs) this is this is a funny one Um, (laughs) yeah so i do okay um, so, so this, all these questions, all these answers are based on my own experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would say for the most part, these are all like m- mostly true. Um, you know, of course there are a few exceptions, like people who, who live in Kowloon or live in new territories. Um, but you know, like a big majority of our students, like, you know, love to go, love to go IFC to LKF, like these are like the popular hangout spots where you always bump into people, um, and it's like um, I do I do think that because of that, and often oftentimes, um, I mean, some of our, our our school was on Hong Kong Island too, so uh, our school was in Wangzhokhang, so because of that, like we also hung out, hung out around the same area, um, and yeah, I, I think I think, but I think even apart from that, like on the weekends, I think. Um, there's like there's like a few notorious malls in Hong Kong Island, like Times Square, Pacific Place, IFC, where you would like if you go there on a weekend, you're like bound to bump into someone from school, um, and and yeah, that's like I think I think that's uh, you know hallmark of the international kid lifestyle is like that we're all in a little bubble, <laughs> and there's like places or like Stanley or like Wan Chai Wednesdays, like places that you always like see people so. So yeah, I do think our the lifestyle is, is is associated with this kind of more like middle upper class bubble of Hong Kong Island, and and uh, me myself like to be honest like I so I grew up on Hong Kong Island so I lived in like uh, like Daihang it was like new in Causeway Bay, and 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 then when I was young I was in like mid levels and Stanley so I moved a few times but yeah because I lived on Hong Kong Island. When I, when I was young, when I was in inter- school, I didn't really make, you know, I didn't really make that much of an effort to like explore other places in parts of Hong Kong that I'd never been to, like, you know, whether in Kowloon or New Territories. I had friends who lived in Kowloon New Territories, um, but you know, we would always hang, hang out on Hong Kong Island, uh, which is unfortunate for them having to make the trek all the way <laughs> to Hong Kong Island. Um, yeah, I, and I look, I do regret that. Like looking back, I think that I. I I didn't realize like that there was so much about Hong Kong that I didn't know uh, because you know because international school is quite a bubble even when you're not literally in the actual school even when you're just hanging out with your friends but the lifestyle does does make you uh, a little bit less aware of the rest of Hong Kong if you don't actively seek out ways to to you know to experience that. I feel like it's normal though like you're usually just where you grow up and where your friends are. So, because my school was, like, in Kowloontong, like, I just always, we always went to Mong Kok, and that was, like, our thing. And it's the same as you, like, we would run into people you know, like, for sure. And it's funny just because, like, we just see their uniforms, and we just like, oops, the person from our school. Yeah, oh my gosh. Like, for most part, I just stay in, like, new territories, like, where I'm from. And, like, every time we make a trip to, like, actually go to Mong Kok, like, Kowloon, or Hong Kong Island is like such a big deal. It's like, oh my gosh, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, but the weird thing is that I've, my parents didn't really. I guess they they 
we didn't really, as a family, didn't really spend that much time in Kowloon territories either. And one time I wanted to hang out with my friends in Hong Kong. They're like, don't go to Hong Kong, it's dangerous. I'm like, how dangerous can it be? It's Hong Kong. Like, it's not like <laughs> so we're, yeah. going to, we're just going to a mall. We're just walking on the streets. And I was like, how dangerous can it really be? So like, that's another thing, I guess, that my parents were a bit, um, I don't know, protective of me. So I guess they had some, I'm sure it's changed now, but um, I guess back then they, they, um, they, they had some, thoughts and ideas about what what um, the rest of Hong Kong was like, especially places like Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Well, in the future, if at some point we get to be in Hong Kong together, I'll show you around new territories. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The next one is people often go clubbing and they have like boat parties. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> clubbing and boat parties. I think that's not something that I realize people do often until like, college because like my friends from local school never like we never went clubbing no boat parties and stuff until college and now like I think people are starting to get on that trend um yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're so funny um yeah so this is I mean based on what I saw this is mostly true so I myself I didn't really like clubbing actually hate going out. Uh, LKF is a horrible place. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> LKF, I don't have any good memories. So I would go out with my friends. Um, I think the first time I went out, I was like definitely underage. I was like 16 or something. Um, which is not, I mean, but some people like go out when they're even younger than that. Um, and a lot of people have fake IDs and stuff. Um, but first time I went out was like New Year's Eve when I was 16 or something like that. Um, and yeah, nobody really checks. Nobody, nobody really cares if you're underage because everybody is underage. Um, but I mean, we were just at a bar like for New Year's Eve. But, um, but I mean, even throughout my whole experience, even after college, from, from high school to college, like I've never had any good memories going to LKF. I don't, I don't, I don't really like it. Um, it's very, uh, but, but I do know a lot of people who, you know, who do enjoy, who do go clubbing. I have friends who still go to LKF from time to time. And in terms of boat parties, uh, yeah, there's like, so there's like there's two different kind of boat parties, there's like the junk boat party, and then there's like the like shiny white private yacht boat party. <laughs> I've been to both. <laughs> um, I had a friend who had a, who had a yacht, who had a private yacht for a while. And so we, it was like a smaller one, so not as big as a junk boat. But yeah, then and you get to go like, go to like Lama Island and like different stuff. You just explore. And I had a friend who, uh, who was like, our family friend who was like, really like really rich like rich rich and she had like a huge yacht like you'd like live on that thing um <laughs> there's like bedrooms and dining rooms oh my god um, and, like a cruise line. yeah like it's, it's huge it's huge yeah uh, and uh and yeah and, and then there's also junk boats um which are you know same thing is like a little bigger but then you go out and just explore and it's just a, you usually just rent a junk boat for a day it's really expensive though i've never done it myself but i have friends who would have boat parties for the birthdays and stuff um, yeah, but but to quite a few boat parties. Um, this is a, definitely a very international school kid stereotype. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean th- these are just like some of the. I guess looking back, like um, it's like some of the more cringier uh, stereotypes with international kids because it just shows. I think it's associated with like reckless behavior um, and also oblivious wealth. Um, that you know that it's just like 
if you it's just like for kids like if they want to have a boat party they can do it you know it's, it's not like there's anything preventing them from it. so it's just it's i think it's it, it's really cringy and, and funny it was funny to me um because of because my attitudes towards these things have changed so much like now i really recognize it as like a beacon of privilege uh and it's not something to flaunt really it's 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 like it's just something that you know further shows the the wealth divide between international school kids and, and local school kids. I was gonna say like um the first time I went to LKF was like in freshman year, like summer freshman year when I was in Hong Kong. Freshman year of college. And um I went with Chris Lau. And he it's so funny because he just like weaved in through the crowds. He's like follow me and he just like sprinted towards his target and he like knew all the ins and outs. Like you would go up this building, come out the other side and stuff and I was like how how much do you come here, bro? And I know like even like with international schools when people go clubbing, a lot of them like they don't they I don't know what it's called, but they book out a whole table. Like they buy out a whole table for like their friends and stuff and then they have to buy like all these like bottles of drinks and stuff. Um it's just so funny to me cuz I'm just like I just want to chill here and Chris is like no, we have to do this this this. These are the steps to get into the club. Um it's just so funny yeah. to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's, strategy. it's yeah, yeah, it's so crazy. And then like as girls, you have to like know how to avoid the creepy dudes. There's always like weird creepy old men in the clubs. Ugh. And you have to like stick together and like evade them. It's it's a uh, quite a maze. Uh yeah, it's and it's like like yeah, it's like there's like these few clubs that are really hard to get into. Um yeah, I didn't really go go to LKF that much. I've been I've been there like a few times, but yeah, like like there I I I have a few friends like Chris who are like very knowledgeable of like how it works and like you have to do this and then uh, like my and my older brother like he one of his friends is like has like connections to like um, so, you know some of the clubs or something like that so like they can get sometimes they can get exclusive access uh, they can like skip the line or something like that so yeah there's a lot of like knowing it's like who you know um, and you know that's just the exclusive one percent of Hong Kong for you <laughs> all right another one international kids don't know how to speak Cantonese. <laughs> oh, God. James, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm tired of this. <laughs> no, no, no. It's so funny because, like, um, these are all, like, bringing up just memories of, like, who I was back then um, and how I fit a lot of these stereotypes back then. And looking back, I'm not proud, you know. Like, I've definitely changed a lot in terms of how I think about my relationship with Hong Kong and my privilege and 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 my family's privilege and all of that um I mean but you know I so obviously I, I went to uh there's like people like me who've gone to local school or whose families speak Cantonese at home so some people do speak Cantonese but um I mean speaking from my own experience so like my brothers don't speak a lot of Cantonese my older brother is a little better because he has some friends some of his international school friends are are um you know, they speak a lot of Cantonese. They're quite local. It's like a weird term, but like you, there's some kids in our in in each grade who you can describe as like quote unquote local, which just means that they are uh, they speak Cantonese and they're a bit more in tune with local culture. Uh, you know, in uh, but on the opposite side, so I would not I would not say that I'm one of the quote unquote more local kids, whatever this label means, right? Because I watch like Disney Channel exclusively. I did not tried I, I wasn't even interested in like watching tvb i don't know why but i internalized this idea that like 
American TV was cooler. Um, obviously, which is wrong, you know, like, like um, but back then I didn't appreciate like, um, you know, Hong Kong local culture and pop culture and entertainment. Well, TVB is trash these days, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> even growing up, I didn't, not, you know, aside from TVD, TVB, like I didn't try to watch like Hong Kong movies or, or you know, whether it's like current movies or old movies. But, um, uh, and, and because of that, my, my Cantonese got worse. I didn't really get to speak it because at school, actually, at my school, they had this weird rule where you can't speak Cantonese at school because they were afraid that we would talk behind the backs of some of the expat uh, teachers who don't speak Cantonese. Um, which, I, you know, looking back, I don't think that's very constructive <laughs> because then it just encourages us uh, international school kids who are already in this, like, English bubble to, to be further away from our own language and culture. And, you know, I think, you know, speaking Cantonese is really, really, really important. But because we don't learn Cantonese at school, that's why, and we are not allowed to speak Cantonese at school, then, you know, we just get it in our heads that it's not important. Um, and, and so then you have people like my little brother who like really doesn't speak any Cantonese. He only speaks Cantonese when he needs to order something, uh, some food at a, at a like some, like a tang ta -ta or something. And, and uh, but, but yeah, he, I, I've only really heard him speak Cantonese in the context of like ordering things. Um, and he, uh, he, you know, responds in English to, to my parents when they speak to him in Cantonese. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of people like him and he, like my, I think the, the, as, in terms of the younger generations, like my, my little brother who's four years younger than me, like I know he has a lot of friends who don't speak any Cantonese at all. Uh, so I think it is a problem for sure. Yeah, my, my friends from international school, they don't really know how to read and write Chinese. And um, one of my friends went to um, UW, like University of Washington for school, and she like joined like the Hong Kong clubs. And she like really made a lot of friends from local school and then she was telling me how she felt like she wished that she had learned Chinese or she wished that she knew how to read and write now at this age because they didn't have it um yeah and sometimes like I think that's sad because like you're from Hong Kong and you don't know how to speak or write and it's very useful <laughs> too to know but yeah, I think like that's one thing that I'm looking back like even though I long to go to international school I'm like grateful that I was forced to learn and to read and write Chinese also because like I hated it so much. So I'm glad that like it was forced into me. Um, yeah, like one of the reasons I wanted to go to international school and also like recognizing that I can like go to international school if I wanted to, but also like I couldn't get in, but then like I could like financially support it. But um, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to go because I didn't have to learn Chinese. And like I once sat in on my friend's Chinese class for some reason like Mandarin class I think I was like really looking into going to the school um and it was just really easy like Mandarin classes but yeah I, I I'm really thankful for that yeah yeah I'm also thankful I I stayed in local school long enough to at least know the basics of of, of reading and writing and speaking Cantonese I, I wish there was more of a hybrid um at international schools where we got to learn Cantonese as well because we were only taught Mandarin and yeah, it's unfortunate because like, the I guess the attitude is that you know the, the assumption is that well Mandarin is a more popular language in terms of like business and for future jobs mm -hmm. it might be something more useful. But but Cantonese is like the language of our city. You know, it's something really precious and important to the identity of Hong Kong. So I, I wish there was something more of an effort, or just an opportunity in local uh, sorry in international school that we were we could learn Cantonese if we wanted to. 
um, or just not having strict rules like not speaking Cantonese at school, just encouraging more of an embracement of local language and culture. And it's, it just further you know, creates this divide. That's so interesting. It's just so interesting to me how that like, even I feel like in local school, we still, we still pride local school that like teach subjects in English. It's just so interesting how English is, su- is seen as such a privileged language in Hong Kong. Yeah, like even in classes sometimes, like when people couldn't use like English to get their words across and like classes that was taught in English, like it was very emphasized that we have to use English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like Cantonese in general, I feel like, I, do you think it's like a little looked down upon? Because you know how like when we are writing in text and when we are writing, we don't actually, it's different. Like the way we talk is different from how we write. Um, and then I feel like growing up, my parents are always like, oh, like you need to learn how to like write Chinese right, not like the way how you like talk like Cantonese. I don't know. Yeah, like to write it in a formal way as opposed to like a conversational way. Yeah, I think I think that they're um, in, in like to answer your question of like, is Chinese look, Cantonese looked down upon in terms of like conversationally? I mean, yeah, I feel like there isn't as much of an appreciation for like spoken conversational Cantonese, which is so unique. There's like so many things that are hard to express on paper and Cantonese is really like a spoken language. I think that's something to be celebrated. You know, it's not like every language has to be has to be a certain way. You know, everybody you know can communicate in different ways. And, and I think that's what's unique about Cantonese is that so much of the idiosyncrasies and like slang and and just like little parts of humor are born from speaking it and, and not from writing it on paper. And it's it's not learned from, you know, school. So Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, anyways, like I feel like I talked to you about this when we first met too, Jane, that there is a really big tension between the two like factions of schools in Hong Kong. I feel like people have like assumptions about the other negative ones usually. I feel like local school, like, students, like, the assumptions that we just kind of talk to you about, like, the list that we kind of ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of local school people think that um, international school students are, like, pretentious. And, like, sometimes even, like, when you see, when you meet local school students, like, if we decide to go to, like, Causeway Bay to, like, chill that day or something, that they really just, like, are kind of (laughs) rude to to you if, like, you're in, like, school uniform or they can tell that you're not, like, as westernized yeah i think that all the like perceptions of international schools that of international school kids that local students have um like all the things that we just listed i think they are true and they're valid like even if i don't think they i understand like why people think that way i think it's valid because because all these stereotypes are true to a certain extent and even if they aren't they represent privilege and wealth that a lot of local students and working class students will never get to experience in Hong Kong. And so I understand why people see us in this way, um, because what they're, what in the deep down, even if we don't express, even if they don't express it, what they're really angry about is the class divide in Hong Kong. So it's not like a personal attack or anything, but it's more like we're upset at the system that's divided us. And the fact that we in our schools are complicit in that, that we don't do anything well, for the most part, 
I'm not going to generalize, but like, but like, you know, the way that we're raised and the ways that we're taught in school, um, you know, we're not necessarily taught to taught about the class divide in Hong Kong and what it's like for working class people in Hong Kong. Um, and yeah, if there's not, we don't really see a big effort to get out of our bubble and to to reach out to students from different backgrounds than us and to understand what life is like for them. Um, you know, that's very different from the privileged life that we live. So yeah, those, those, those assumptions are valid. The ideal, in an ideal world, we would, uh, you know, like understand what, where, we would, understand, we would try and empathize, like in an ideal world, people would try to empathize and understand each other without putting labels and stereotypes on each other. But, you know, we know none of us live in an ideal world. So I understand where those frustrations come from. And I, I, I could say, like, if I was in a similar situation, like if I had grown up, if my, I'd grown up more from a working class background and I stayed in local school my whole life, I would probably feel the same way, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously the best way to solve divides is to listen to each other and to to actually you know try and understand the how everything is more deeply rooted it's not just um and and a specific behavior from an individual or a group of people it's all part of the system of of wealthy elites in hong kong mm-hmm. yeah. to that. <laughs> but like it's so real though that tension yeah it is and i think that's it's just a microcosm of hong kong like the tension between local and international is speaks to a bigger tension between the working class and the wealthy elite in Hong Kong. Yeah, and I remember like my friends who cuz like there is what like there's more international schools now in Hong Kong than there was, but when we were growing mm-hmm. up, I know there were a few big ones and then there were a few like less prestigious ones, I would say. Is there like a hierarchy in the international? Like, do you like do someone say like, oh, I went to this international school, and then people like make assumptions about that, or is there like stereotypes tied to like which international school you went to? Because I'm not really, I don't really know. Yeah, there's quite an arbitrary like hierarchy and and different reputation for each school. Um, <laughs> so like some schools are like known for like being. Um, so I don't know where these stereotypes come from, but I guess there's little stories that come from each school. Like at this school, um, kids are like all druggies and stuff. Um, and and there's like some schools where it's like the kids are are all like delinquents, like they're all like really rebellious and stuff. I, for for my school, I think our reputation was relatively clean. I mean, for the most part, like uh, we were like in the middle. Uh, but, but like, yeah, there are, in terms of prestigious, you know, level of prestige, yeah, so I would say there's definitely, like, a few big ones, um, like HKS, CIS, and CDNIS, which is the school I went to, and the, those are among, among, like, the more prestigious ones. I think it's probably also determined by, like, cost of tuition. I would say the ESF schools, which are, uh, you know, the tuition is, is, is partially subsidized by the by the English Schools Foundation, so it's a little bit less expensive. Those are probably less prestigious, uh, or associated with less prestigious. But I think all this hierarchy is like really arbitrary and unnecessary. Because if you get to go to international school, it's already like such a huge privilege and a very different learning environment. And you get to you know learn. You get to go through like Western curriculum, which um, you know oftentimes there's a lot more different subjects to choose from. Like we did IB at my school. And so I got to take film and art 
and, and then there was also theater and music and stuff like that. Um, and you know, and then in other schools, there's like the AP system or the or the GCSE, like uh, you know, English system. So yeah, it's it's kind of a stupid hierarchy, but I think it's also based on how nice and rich the schools are, and how because like some schools have better facilities, and I think sometimes, especially for sports teams, like if they go to certain schools and then uh, and they compete at another school, then you can see. Uh, then maybe that's when the comparisons, like another way the comparisons start, because some some schools really have like nicer facilities and some are a little bit older. Yeah, but it's all it's all superficial. Cool. So I have another question for you. Um, how do you define being a Hong Konger? Because I feel like like we have talked about before. Um, there's this stereotype and perception of international school kids that they're in their own bubble and they're not like true Hong Konger. I also know that you did like a web series about this topic, so I want to know like how do you define being a Hong Konger? Yeah, um, oh, this is such a hard question. Uh, I think that ultimately it's not up to anyone to decide or draw the lines of what it means to be a Hong Konger. Um, and I do think that like the web series that I made, I wasn't trying to find any answers, nor do I think I've. I've nor do I claim to have found any answers through that. And I think my um, thoughts about what a Hong Konger means has changed a lot since then because I made the web series in 2018. So this was before the protest movement and, and the national security law and everything that's happened in Hong Kong since then. Um, and look, looking back, like, like if, if that series had been made like during 2019, that would be so different. Like the conversation that we'll be having is so different. But but that story, but the, the web series was mostly just, mostly just based on my own upbringing, um, you know, from in, in, in high school in Hong Kong. I, I, yeah, I think that it's, it's probably not ideal and not constructive to put labels like real or fake or not a true Hong Konger because it, it, obvious, it just fur, further creates a divide. So I even like I'm frustrated with how I was back then and how I didn't, you know, actively try and learn more about the city that I claim to call home and to, you know, to to, you know, improve my Cantonese and to try and like learn more about local culture, uh, because, you know, it's something that to be excited about and to be preserved for for other generations. But like. And I, and, I, and I also feel like, um, you know, a lot of my classmates, um, you know, they still, they still have a very similar lifestyle. Like my former classmates, a lot of them still, still, still live a very similar lifestyle to when they did in high school in terms of, um, you know, kind of living in a bubble and not reaching across to break that bubble. And so in terms of what, does it mean to be a Hong Konger? I do think that, um, I'm a little hesitant to say this, but I do think we have a responsibility to, like at least to try and learn more about, you know, our, our privilege and, you know, for, speaking from an international school point of view, um, to, to try and, you know, real, like recognize why it's important to continue on carrying the culture of Hong Kong especially in a time like this. Uh, so I, th I think like to be Hong Kong, you know, it's even just the effort, the continuous effort to 
to to to realize that there's so much about our city that you know that needs to change and and it won't change unless unless we're all united in that um so yeah it's really hard to say what a real real hong konger is but i i, I think there is a shared responsibility um and it, but but i think there's better more constructive ways to create that unity among hong kongers um without putting labels like real or not real hong konger because i know it just al further alienates um people who people who are not seen as real hong kongers it just it just further alienate people who are more westernized in the end we need like everyone to care about hong kong we need everyone to care about our culture and our identity and our society and our politics we need everyone to care so the way to get that is just to have conversations and and not to put labels like that yeah but I, you know i understand like once again i understand if it because like that kind of frustration anger is very valid what are you saying is so true though i feel like mm -hmm. yeah the there shouldn't be a way to define like international school kids have their own in like hong kong experience and so do local school kids mm -hmm. um and it's just different and it happens to be in the context that causes such divide um but no it's so true um and i think like it's not just like international school school kids who like want to be i don't know all these stereotypes it's also like uplifted by everyone else who's not in that experience who places those stereotypes on them as well and vice versa and i feel mm -hmm. like this conversation isn't that talked about because there's often no international school local school like things like there's no space for them to have this yeah. open conversation yeah and i think uh, uh obviously colonialism plays a huge part in this too because international schools were created because of british colonial rule and so like international school students were all products of that system and then you know once even after even in post-colonial times that's when you know american pop culture became like the you know mainstream pop culture of the world and so the globalization of america also affected the upbringing of people like me you know of why why i was so attached to american media rather than local hong kong media so all of these yeah all of these things are part of like a larger system of how the world was evolving when we were growing up um, but that being said like you know uh, i do think it, you know if schools had um, you know events like you suggested where there's more intermingling between local and international students and if schools put in place more of an effort to for us to be educated about our own society then you know that would be a step in the right direction but it's yeah it's definitely hard to see a lot of reform happening in hong kong education right now it just seems like there's more restrictions than reform wow that's so true you're so well spoken i know i know <laughs> no you have no idea like i i have been thinking about hong kong like so much over the past year because i'm not able because i especially not being home um it's like it's just so so heartbreaking to see everything that's happening there right now and so yeah i've had a lot of time to like think about like what you know what is my relationship to hong kong like what do i wish i had done differently when i was younger yeah it's really sad <laughs> it's really sad i've definitely yeah. like um every time it feels like every time you hear news from hong kong it's, it's like always bad news <laughs> when you look at who started you know the resistance in hong kong it's uh, it was started by secondary local school students and college local college students um and it was mainly spearheaded by them 
uh, and there is not a lot of participation, if any, from international students. So I think, yeah, we're we're complacent. You know, we're complacent in what's happening in Hong Kong right now. So yeah, my heart breaks for Hong Kong like so often, um, and you know, especially yeah, especially in the past year, it just feels like very powerless. So I just been thinking a lot about, you know, what do I want to do for the future of Hong Kong and what do I have to learn to, to do that? That's so like true. I feel like just being away from Hong Kong in general because um, actually when everything happened, I was there like in 2019. But I think just in general, like having the option to not be there, it's very, it feeds into being complacent. And I think like what you t- just said, like really resonated with me because it's hard to like find things to do. It's hard to stand in solidarity when you're far away and it seems like because it's so far away it seems like you can be complacent yeah yeah because there's also a stereotype of international kids who um you know a lot of us go off to another country to go study and and don't come back so that's you know that's another stereotype although i would say like there's quite a quite a lot of people i know from high school who are who've moved back home but you know a lot of it could be a combination of factors including covid but yeah like there, there is this sense that like, I I left the city and you know like I spend most of my time in the states now. Anyways, <laughs> it's been a really good talk. We've been recording for like over an hour, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but thanks for Jane for being yeah. here. Yeah, I think I always learn a lot from talking to Jane. <laughs> I know. It's because I ramble too much. No, <laughs> please ramble. We love rambling. Um. But yeah, thank you so much for being here and like talking about your own experience about international school and just like in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's it for our episode. Yeah, so great to talk to you guys. I hope you learn more about like international school versus local school. We are all Hong Kong people in in the great yeah, school things. <laughs> yeah, we should all all unite and understand our differences. That would be my dream is if Hong Kongers could just find more ways to unite um, and like for people to people, you know, people who are in position of privilege to just take accountability and to, you know, actually try and have conversations with people who are from different backgrounds. I think that is that, you know, is what it means to help Hong Kong right now. Mm-hmm. yeah that was the time for today then um follow us on instagram we post a lot of stuff on there <laughs> um weekly updates and stuff um so yeah thanks for being here jane yeah of course thank, thank you. you for having me